Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, the first installment in the live-action G.I. Joe film series. The film was directed by Stephen Summers. G.I. Joe features an ensemble cast based on the various characters of the franchise. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. How familiar are you with G.I. Joe uh, as a concept? I knew of the toys. For us in the UK, or for me, should I say, in the UK, Action Man. I didn't realize growing up, Action Man was the UK G.I. Joe. In the US, they made the toys smaller, but I think Action Man stayed big for a while longer. So I knew of... G.I. Joe. I knew it was a cartoon series based on the toy line. This movie came out in, I think, 2009. Yep. I don't know what possessed me. Maybe it was the cast. I don't know. Maybe it was the explosions in the trailer. But I went to the cinema (laughs) and watched it. So my main exposure with G.I. Joe was this initial live-action movie. What about you? Uh, As a child of the 80s, I was very familiar with the toys because they were in the aisle next to my Ninja Turtles and Transformers and Star Wars action figures. Um, but I've also, I was aware of the cartoon. I think I caught the odd cartoon here and there. I was always more into the franchises I just mentioned. And um, Mask was the big, like, oh, Army Mask. Man, yes. like, Mask. cartoon series. Oh, excellent. You know, my favorite Mask toy, it was yep. the green motorbike that turned into a helicopter that everyone like had one that it my... <laughs> was one of my favorites mask where's that where's the mask movie i know sure that's gonna happen at some point we've had gi joe transformers just waiting on mask i can't even remember what mask is an acronym for but it's, it's mobile something. assault something command uh <laughs> mobile assault security command something like that um, but yeah, it was an acronym. Uh, but the, the, what I am aware of with G.I. Joe's history is it goes back to the 50s, or actually World War II, more specifically. Uh, and it was in the same scale, the Fort Toys, as Action Man. But G.I. Joe was actually just military guys based on real units. So it was in that, I think it's 10 or 12 inch. I think it was it's like, a, like a Ken doll. The same size yeah, and as it was, Yeah. And it was a it was a doll because you had clothes and you could change out his tactical gear and that sort of stuff. And he had you know weapons that went in holsters. And it wasn't until the success of the Star Wars figures in the late seventies, early eighties, that GI Joe revamped to that down from twelve inch to three and three quarter inch scale to match with the Star Wars line. And it was because the sales of toy sets and vehicles, uh, and you know. Let's be honest, after, by that stage, it was a nearly 40-year-old property and needed a revamp. And because of that, they, that's where the comics came in. The comics came, the Yard Mini comic, with your action figure like you did with He-Man. And that, of course, was through Marvel when it was initially released because they'd already set up those contracts with everyone else. Yep. But Netflix, the toys that made of us, have a really good breakdown of how all this happens. But... That is how I was familiar with, like yourself, the toys. Um, I oh, I, up until I saw, up until I saw the movie, 
they I um I knew the Joes were the good guys and Cobra were the bad guys. And I remember yeah, thinking the Cobra um, guys look cooler. <laughs> but I mean it's not as subtle the divide between good and bad guys. <laughs> no, but I did always think that Storm Shadow was the he was the white ninja and you have Snake Eyes the black ninja. I always thought the white ninja was good and the black ninja was bad because that's just how it was in the eighties. And then when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. The guy called Snake Eyes is a hero? What? <laughs> Didn't make any sense to me. I've got a question. All right. Something I noticed now. This movie, I did see it for the first time on the big screen. And then a month ago, I decided to watch it. I think it was on the back of seeing the first trailer for the new Snake Eyes movie. So I thought, I'll go back and watch that first movie. It was way before we talked about reviewing it for the podcast. But then a month later, you know, right, we're ready to record. So I watched it again last night. So I've now seen this movie three times, but the second and third time was within like a month. So it's very fresh in my memory. But when you've got flashbacks to Snake Eyes as a little boy, I'm assuming this is intentional. The child actor has got a freckle on each cheek. Or is that just the actor? Like, maybe the actor, coincidentally. But I'm like, I know he's got the codename Snake Eyes. There's going to be a deeper meaning or reason why. But it looked, I don't know, like alluding to the fact that he would later grow up to be a character named Snake Eyes. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. It might literally just be the young actor's real-life records. Possibly. Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me if that was, like, some, like, deep cut that, the comic fans especially are very aware of. I mean, they those... did They did make some changes. Like, in, in the movie, the Snake Eyes, he, he takes a vow of silence, and that's why he doesn't speak. In the comics, and I'm pretty sure in the new Origins movie as well, he gets his vocal cord cut. Yeah. So he can make some sound, but often he won't speak because, well, he has difficulty speaking. So that is a big yeah. change they made... For this film and before this film made it to the big screen a draft or an early draft was leaked read by fans who criticized it it was on the back of that that the studio brought in larry hammer who was a writer from the marvel comics series you were talking about and they brought him on as a creative consultant and then rewrites were made yeah, and I think he's still the, one of the writers on the comics to this day. He's oh, right. like synonymous with the with the uh, with the property. But if you if you were unaware that this was based off basically a, a toy brand, I think watching this movie, it suddenly starts to get very clear <laughs> that something's going on. It looks like a toy this, movie. I mean, when you've got the bit in Paris and they've got the uh, the exoskeletons. And they're running at like fast speeds. It's like, oh, it looks like a video game. Yeah. It looks like got, a toy accessory. <laughs> you got the uh the, the helicopter jet ship thing that the Baroness and Storm Shadow rock up in. You have all the other little vehicles, you know, they when they break into uh G.I. Joe Command through those mole like tube things. I mean 
you can see oh that was cool like you see giant joes fly around on like those little, like helicopter backpack things like and when they're in the background and stuff of like establishing shots i'm like man i understand it's based off a toy line but save some for sequels like <laughs> don't, don't, don't just throw it in there for like hey remember this toy i'm sure you had one because no but maybe it's mean, distracting but it's also like with, helicopter jetpacks <laughs> i mean this is back in 2009 maybe this could have been it like they might not have necessarily got a sequel i mean it did but maybe they thought just in case this is it let's just throw everything at the screen and let's sell as many toys as possible you know it's worth noting that this movie financially was a hit on a budget yep. of 175 million it took 302.5 million at the box office so they were definitely onto something here so yes so the rise of cobra opened top of the box office grossed over 302 million worldwide that was by the end of its run critical reception was generally negative made money though Yep. And a sequel titled G.I. Joe Retaliation was released on March 28, 2013. So four years later. And it's interesting to know that Dwayne Johnson, and I'm pretty sure he was, was he still The Rock then? I'm not sure if he transitioned into full-time Dwayne Johnson, the actor. But there was a period in his career. He was the guy that they would inject into a franchise whether it was struggling or they wanted to change direction, you know, whether it's, I mean, The Mummy Returns, that was one of his first big films. But then when they did the sequel to Journey to the Center of the Earth, the Brendan Fraser movie, he took over. He didn't go beyond the second film. Fast Five, he's been with the Fast and the Furious since. He got his own spin-off, Hobson Shaw. What else has he done? He's... There's all the examples. There's a couple more, yeah. yeah of where we um, put oh, be cool. The sequel or follow up <laughs> to get shorty. I mean, that's not quite the same, but it's a sequel where they've gone, hey, let's put Dwayne Johnson in there. But it was definitely there was a, a point in his career, and GI Joe fits that where it's like let's cast him, and then he he ended up being the main guy in the sequel. But that's not this film. Let's talk about this film. The story follows two American soldiers, Duke and Ripcord, who join the G.I. Joe team after being attacked by military armament research syndicate troops, also known Mars. Also yeah. known as Mars. That is, that is their name. This movie gets ridiculous very fast. If not yep. the opening scene, like the, the the whole film is silly, but keep it in perspective, it is a live action movie based on a toy line. You mentioned already the, the costumes, the vehicles, and everything else. Let's start with, with the director, Stephen Summers. Yep, the Mummy. That's the go-to for him. Not necessarily yeah. this and- film, but the Mummy is the high standard you go to when talking about a film that he, he has directed. Yeah. And he does bring back The Mummy, Arnold Vosloo as Zartan. And Brendan Fraser is in ah, an yes. uncredited role. I was going to say. As Sergeant that. Stone. 
Rick O'Connell is in, yeah. is in this movie. And as you say, he is completely uncredited. But yes, that's nice, isn't it? You know, you've got that mummy connection there. I mean, Stephen Summers, he went on to direct Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, another movie that I watched at the cinema. Wow. That's a film yeah. I will not be revisiting in, in a hurry. <laughs> and I was looking at the last film that Stephen Summers directed. It was a film called Odd Thomas, which is adapted from a novel. And it was starring, I believe, Anton Yelchin, who passed a few years ago. So this oh, wow. is like, there's been a long time in between that film and, and now. And I'm not quite sure what, he, what he's working on next. But the mummy yeah. is a is a high high standard. You know, I was reading a couple of interviews with Brendan Fraser. As as you say, yeah. he is in this movie uncredited, completely uncredited. But what he had to say about his role is that his character, Sergeant Stone, is a descendant of Rick O'Connell. Ah, I mean, he's not really, but it's something fun that Frazier yeah. said in interviews. You know, I think we may have talked about The Mummy off air at some point. Technically, yeah, I... I don't think there's been a comic adaption, but they did multiple films and animated series. Maybe that's a film that we could review at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. I love those movies. Uh, the main character, of course, for this is Duke played by Channing Tatum. And this is Channing Tatum breaking into Hollywood, Channing Tatum, not the star he is now. It was movies like this, and given its success, this was one of the things that helped launch him into larger, bigger projects. But, you know, because before this, I think he'd done Magic Mike all around this time, had done no, Magic Mike. I think, I think Magic Mike was after, at this point, he'd played a soldier in Stop Loss, which was an anti-war film. And on that, originally, he wanted no part of this film. Did not <laughs> want to be in it at all. He felt it glorified war. He didn't want to be in it's it. But it was Paramount that said, hey, you've got contractual obligations. You need to make a film for us. You signed a three-picture deal, and that was following Coach Carter, the Sam Jackson movie. And they're like, we want you to do this film reluctantly he signed on apparently he was a fan of the franchise growing up which i think you know most people you know with the cartoon the toys um he did express interest in snake eyes but paramount were adamant that they wanted him for for duke all american joe yep duke his mate joseph gordon lovett when he heard he was going to be in the movie he was more inclined to do so and looking back on it like there's reports that uh, Tatum, after the fact, has looked back on this experience and the film, and it's not as bad as his initial experience when making it. So it's a film that he made, but it's certainly not something that he's said to look at as a high point in his career. But I just say, he's Duke. He's the main guy here. He's one of the main guys. Alongside him, we've got. Marlon Waynes as Ripcord. Yeah, which it's funny because Duke, that is his name. It's not someone, Duke, something else. It's Duke is his name. His character's name is actually Duke. 
Ribcord. I'm pretty sure that's like a, a nickname. No, I you never. Yeah, his name's Wallace. His, <laughs> yeah, his full name is Wallace Weems. He goes by Ripcord. Yeah. <laughs> because all of these characters, you know, Scarlet, the Baroness, Snake Eyes. Obviously, these are not the characters' real names. But for the GI Joe toy line, they all had cool sounding names because no one wants to play with an action figure called Joseph Smith. <laughs> or Wallace Weems. You know, looking, yeah. looking at it here, I've got Channing Tatum as Conrad Hauser. What? Duke is his alias. Really? That's, that's what I, yeah, that's what I have here. Like when, I, when I was making notes for the podcast, I was making a point of putting down what their given names are and what their Joe names are. And that's what I have because- you know, his his girlfriend, Sienna Miller, playing Annis, Anna, the Baroness, like, she's calling him Duke before he's, well, long before he's a Joe, oh, back when he's like, but they got, you know, in his flashback, everyone's referring to him as Duke like it's his name. I'm like, you, you can't do that. Maybe you can't call the character. Maybe just his military name then. Maybe that was his military call sign. Yeah, it's just odd. Um, yeah, because that was something I took note of specifically. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. Everyone else seems to have an actual name. Like even General Hawk, Dennis Quaid. Like <laughs> yeah. Hawk, like he has a name that they say and like he's known as General Hawk. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Makes oh, sense. Makes sense. But, but, you know, we've, we've kind of, we'll, we'll talk about Duke some more later on. But we've, we've moved on to Ripcord or tried to move on to, to Ripcord. <laughs> you know, in this movie... Marlon Wayne's literally as a line of dialogue, right? You have lifelike hair and a kung fu grip. That is yep. spoken in this film. Yeah. It was also a line that Hasbro used in the TV commercials when advertising the original G.I. Joe action figures. So yeah, if... I remember the kung fu grip especially. <laughs> but the thing is, though, like if you're watching this film without the toy line context... What a weird line for somebody to say in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're familiar, oh, like, cool. It's a nod to the comics. Well, it's not a nod to the comics. It's like a hit over the head. <laughs> like, it's not yeah. subtle at all. But we've got little descriptions as well that go with the characters, which is in line with a toy line. So we've got Duke. He is the lead soldier. That's who he is. Like, each... Even if it's just like one line, even if it's just a couple of couple of words put together, each character will get like a one sentence description of who they are. So Duke, he is the the lead soldier. What we have for Ripcord is a pilot with a romantic interest in Scarlet. That's it. <laughs> that's him. Yeah. And that sums it up. That's pretty much, oh, and he's also Duke's first mate. But that yeah. is who he is. And that's what you do with toys. You just need a brief description. This is what the toy looks like. This is what it can do. This is who that character is. And that is, in this movie, the main thing that's happening. You've got his romantic, or say romantic, he's got a crush on the character Scarlet. And there's a weird write-up on her character, because what the basic is saying about her. So we've got Rachel Nichols as Shana M. O'Hara, also <laughs> as Scarlet. Her character graduated from college at age 12 and 
became the team's intelligence expert. Due to having left school so early, she does not understand men's attraction to her. What? It sounds like that's been written by a teenage boy. It really does. Now, if they were to say that due to leaving school early, she doesn't know how to socialize with people of her own age, that would track. Okay, I can kind of get behind that. But the fact that she's completely blind to the fact that one, the actress and the character is smoking hot. But two, she's completely oblivious or doesn't understand why men are attracted to her. Yeah. And they played off, they don't play it off that she doesn't understand in the movie. They played off that she doesn't, she's, she's kind of got like, she's like Spock. She's basically, she writes off emotional things because they're irrelevant and illogical and sticks to like facts and that sort of stuff. And Ripcord is trying to like, no, no, no. People have emotions. You can be emotional and still be logical, but yeah, it's like a little like fun interplay they have because you know she loses a fight and gets emotional about it yes. because she's never lost before. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. But as he says, not everyone lose wins a hundred percent all the time. You you fail, you learn a lesson, and you get better afterwards. But yeah, it's it's funny like that. I I do remember the cards on the back of the. The toys and they'd have things of like stats of their strength and like agility and they're like that sort of stuff. Like a kid's going to buy a, a toy based on the stats on the back of the box rather than whether they think it looks cool or not. It's interesting you mentioned Star Trek there. I don't know which one. It may have been the 2009 Abrams reboot, but Nichols was in a Star Trek film. Don't know who she played. Yes, it was. It was a 2009. She oh, was okay. a green Orion. St- uh, our Ryan girl, she's the one who was uh brought him back to her room, and she shared a room with Ahura. Ah, and oh, he's right. hides under her a... bed. Oh, yep. well done, well done. I just knew there was a Star Trek connection there, and then she later yeah. went on to do that um continuum TV show. But this is yeah. this is not a podcast all about Rachel Nichols. So you can look her <laughs> up. She's she has done other things. And um, who else do we have? Well, let's talk Dennis Quaid. You've talked to him already. General Hawk. So he's the guy that is leading the Joes. When we first introduced to him, we get that flat um, holographic rendition. And it's kind of cool, but it looks good, but shit at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive for the... I mean, actually, so this movie came out in 2009. What I found interesting, the year that it is set is 2020. Yeah, and we still don't have holograms. <laughs> oh, but we had a much worse year in real life yeah. to what that was happening in this Joe movie. And yeah, that's the, the first time we're introduced to Hawk. We're getting that effect, and then the guys later meet up with him at the pit. That's what they call the, the station, the base, where all the Joes hang in the out. In, in Egypt, for some reason. Uh, what I do like is, you know, when he does that first briefing of like, oh, you know, we're going to pick up the warheads. We need to move them to this thing. Like, uh, like who's this woman? They don't, they don't recognize the Baroness when she attacked the convoy. Like now, well, now we know. And he goes, and knowing is half the battle. That was always the thing (laughs) at the the ESA at the end of the cartoon. Cause of course the, um, the animated series from 85. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there he is. You've got 
Dennis Quaid, great actor in this movie, yeah. saying that thing from a cartoon in 85. Yeah. Yeah. Although he is just a general. He, you could have plucked him out of this and dropped him in any other movie as this character. Yeah. And you're like, true. yeah, he's, he's a general. It's, He's not doing anything crazy. He's just the guy in charge, and you want an established actor like this. The fact that he got an actor of his caliber is great. It, no, yeah, um, it, it, yes, it adds something to it for sure. Like not only is he recognizable having someone like Dennis Quaid, but him as an actor kind of looks like a general. So having him yeah. play that part, it fits perfectly. I mean, he described Hawk as a cross between Chuck Yeager. And Sergeant Rock, and maybe a naive Hugh Hefner chucked in there. Bit of Hef. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he was using for his character. But it, it was um, it was his son, who I believe he's only got one son. So if that's the case, Jack Quaid, Huey <laughs> from The Boys. So again, this is back in 09. It was his son, who was a fan of G.I. Joe, that insisted on him playing Hawk in this movie. Yeah. So oh, got, come on, Dad! I love son. those cartoons. He's got his son, his son to thank, which is um, which is pretty cool. Uh, the filmmakers enjoyed working with Quaid so much that screenwriter Stuart Beatty created ten to fifteen more scenes for him. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? If you've got Quaid, yeah. I mean, you know what kind of movie you're making. You know the kind of caliber Quaid is bringing to your film. Why not include more of him? Yeah, absolutely. We should probably talk about the main villain of the movie, uh, McCallum, played by Christopher Eccleston, Doctor Who himself. And this was a, this was a period where any time you showed up in an American movie at the time, he always played the bad guy. Something about his accent, the way he, he looks, like Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. I mean bad guy. Even in that first series when they rebooted Doctor Who, he played him as a nutcase. <laughs> yeah, know, he really did. unpredictable and hairy fairy. So he's got a quirk to him as an actor. I mm, most actors in this, if not all, are a lot better than the material they've got to work with. And yes, Eccleson is no different. He is so much better than the dialogue and everything that they're giving him to work with. Yeah. Um, by the end of the movie, he does end up as the character Destro. Yes. He gets on that face. That's the, that's the toy character he plays in the comic book character he becomes. Yeah. Because and it's essentially the, the, man, the man in the eye mask. And yeah. then and he's, got, he's got descendants which one of those descendants in a flashback sequence, you've got Irish actor David Murray, who was originally yep. cast as Destro, but he was forced to do out due to visa issues. But then Murray was later cast as an ancestor of McCollum in the flashback scene. So that's at the beginning of the movie. So that's the more typical Iron Mask. And then Eccleson's character, McCollum, or James McCollum, it's almost like a... like. Nanomite or the nanomite yeah. is like a liquid metal and then he's encased. Because I guess the interesting thing that is going on is because he's the guy that's driving all of this. He's the main big bad. But if you know G.I. Joe, you know really 
the Cobra Commander. He's yeah. something bad. And the way the character is introducing this, like we get flashbacks of Joseph Gordon Lovett as Rex Lewis, the brother of I'm blanking on her name, the Sarah Baroness. Baroness. Yeah. That's her. So they're siblings. He's believed dead, but really he uncovers something. You know, he's got a, a knack for science and he's left disfigured. He's got breathing aids. He's wearing a wig. He just yeah. looks he just looks odd. Like I mean, from memory, like Cobra Commander in the cartoon and that whiny, maniacal laugh. Yeah. And he you know, was, he always had a very raspy voice, but that's yeah, because you know like was, Do as I got mad. I think back see, he was for Yeah, I, I honestly the voice like, actor who did Starscream. <laughs> is it really? I'll yeah. say this, right? Joseph Gordon Lovett, as an actor in most things, really like him. Like I'm talking going back to the days of, of Third Rock from the Sun. Always liked him. In this, he's terrible. As the Cobra Commander. I mean, it is fun when they do the power switch and actually yeah. he's the one in charge. And then McCullen, now Destro, works for him. That was an interesting switch. But other than that, this is a terrible Cobra Commander. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd put Cobra Commander just as like fun, silly villains on 80s cartoons, I put him up there with Skeletor. Like, he's so much fun. And in yeah. this movie, he's just not. And he's also unrecognisable in the role. Like, yeah, he really if, you, is. if you I'm had told me line. it was not J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I would I'd be like, oh, it's, yeah, they cast someone else to be in all that makeup. That makes sense. Doesn't look anything like him. Doesn't sound anything like him. He's not doing an awful lot. He's just kind of like, delivering dialogue in, in a really odd way. You know, like, we have a cobra, there's venom, blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, their entire thing, apparently they make weapons, but ignoring their, like, vehicles and underwater bases and all the other ridiculous stuff they have, their only weapons to be, it seems to be nano, not nanites, which is the real-life idea of what they have, but they keep calling them nanomites, I guess. Ah. That's where I was tripping up earlier. I was trying to get yeah. yeah, and they can do anything. They can repair body. They can make you stronger, faster, like quicker. They can make you obedient. They can change your mind. They can eat metal and destroy cities. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> it's toy but science. It's a, exactly. It's a, it's a way to make everything work for this, for this just, thing. But yeah, that's I, why he's gotten so obsessed yeah. and to turn into a villain. What's happening here is they seem to like, they keep leaning different ways. They're either fully leaning into how silly it all is, or you've got, I mean, what Levy, what, so what he's saying, right? So when he's describing his vocal performance, right, so he's saying that it's half reminiscent of Chris Larter. So he's the guy that voiced the character in the animated TV series. But then he's also, incorporating his own ideas he's not trying to do an imitation he's trying to put his own spin on it because he thought if he did it just like the cartoon it would sound ridiculous but it's like but by not leaning too far into it 
it's we're not getting that fun performance. And honestly, it's almost like he's the Cobra commander in name only. I mean, even like the change, like you know, visually what it looks like. So eventually, when you get to the end of the movie, that's when we're expecting to see the Cobra commander, whether it's a toy or the animated series, fully realized. But apparently, because the crew found it too reminiscent of the KKK, they did a redesign. <laughs> Nobody would be thinking that watching this movie, surely. No, no. I think, and the annoying thing is, for the sequel retaliation, they didn't get Joseph Gordon Levitt back, which is not too much of a surprise. But they did do a more updated look where it was like kind of almost like a Star Wars Imperial helmet cross like uh, reminiscent of the hood of the toy but with a super reflective face shield like you would expect on a toy which I think was actually more like I think you could get the generic like uh, Cobra troops and look like that and like yeah that is exactly what you should have done what you should not have done is that weird semi-translucent clear gas mask thing Mm. which doesn't serve anyone it just rubbish like yeah it just looks it looks rubbish you know i've just noticed as well like earlier on when i was referring well we're talking about the baroness and i refer to her as sarah miller it's yeah seeing her seeing her miller yeah no yeah Miller. (laughs) well that's it like you know daniel craig layer cake she was great in that movie so she jumped at this project because it was so far removed from the roles that she was getting most of the time. Yeah, and something not serious oh, and oh, yes. ridiculous. Lady of the Night. She was getting those kinds <laughs> of offers. And yeah, so she was obviously swayed by the appeal of this big blockbuster spectacle. I mean, she's she's good in this as the Baroness. You know, good enough. Like, you know, she's like the hard ass when she's the Baroness. We also get to see her as Anna Lewis, the sister of Rex and the ex of, let's just call him Duke. Let's stick with Duke. Yeah. The ex of Duke. And then she's now a bad guy, but then she's she's been manipulated with her mind. And then she breaks the spell or breaks the scientific hold they've got over her. And yeah, there's a lot going on there. But if if you look at the, the posters for this character, like all of them are pretty much looking head on, except for her character, who's looking over her shoulder, and you're looking at her backside. Yeah, so that's clearly she's the sex symbol, you know, as well as Rachel Nichols. That's the character she's playing. Yeah, she's the femme fatale, which yes. has always been a little bit of what the character was. You know, in all of these old toy lines, there was always Skeletor was the main bad guy, like Cobra Commander, and then he had. This Evelyn was a skeletal, and Baroness was that for Cobra Commander. Not love interest, just his his hard as nails, evil female like lead officer, and you know. And then on the other side, you had pretty sure Storm Shadow for Snake Eyes. But yeah, they, they, all of all of those t- toy lines, they all fit because they did come up with stories for them. They all fit uh, kind of this so this all, mold. They all have. An opposite. You know, we've talked about Zartan a little bit already. So, again, he's back from the mummy with Stephen Summers. Arnold Voslu. 
Yeah. Now, his character is said to be really good at impersonating people, right? Okay, so yep. how does he go about doing that? Well, he gets sat in a chair and gets put through a very painful procedure, and then science changes his appearance. Yeah, before this, he's supposed to... This is the, the upgrade he has. Because you do see him beforehand, before going through the procedure. And all he seems to do is steal someone's clothes. But going With through it. the procedure, like he does at the end, because he's going to impersonate the president, which does follow on into retaliation, it's yep. less of a talent and more just going through a procedure. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Uh... <laughs> He's gone full uh, Tropic Thunder on that one. Yeah, but he's become... meant to be like the best at, you know, like deep cover, impersonating people. And you're thinking, wow, so how is he going to do that? You know, Mission Impossible style masks, voice modulators. How is he going to do it? No, it's a science procedure. I don't know. Yeah, I was less but... impressed when, when he had to go through that, that procedure. But he's not in this film a lot at all. No, and he... And he doesn't get to act out any of these impression roles he does. He doesn't get to do a, an actual infiltration scene and deliver dialogue as someone else. So he unfortunately doesn't get to stretch his acting chops no, as much as at all. it sounded like the character was going to appeal, which is a shame because he is a great actor. I mean, he's, he's great. He's menacing. He's like, Very, he has yeah, no I morals. Like it's just, yeah, he just does. It's just not a lot because all the stuff that they end up doing with him in dub, double mode is safe for a sequel that, you know, comes four years later. Yeah. And it's played and, by a different actor completely. Oh, he comes back in that, doesn't he? I thought he did. I'm pretty sure he, he does. He does, but he's but hardly in, in, in the it. role of, under, un, you know, in right. makeup. Or in, it comes, in, in it's almost, role. it's just the other actor. It's almost a cameo. So we've got Jonathan Price as the president. So this yep. movie ends and, We've no longer got Arnold. We've got Jonathan Price. He's got the whistle, which we recognised yeah. earlier in the film. That gets carried yeah. over. But when it's this is the next movie. But when it's revealed who it really is, we see Arnold again, almost a blinking your yeah. But they do yeah. momentarily bring him back. What is interesting about his character, though? So this is earlier in the film. You get a clue to his his mission. When first seen, Zartan is sitting at a table aboard McCullen's submarine reading a book. The book is on the Bill of Rights, and he makes remark about USA government inefficiency, so he is preparing himself for his future role. So he's doing his research. So that, that again, yeah. is what I thought the character was going to be. He would research his target. He'd put on a rubber face, like a la Mission Impossible, and then impersonate the person. But no, it's a science procedure. There we yeah, are. that's um, that's his character. And we've kind of touched on him on and off quite a bit already. Storm Shadow, the rival of Snake Eyes, which bizarrely just occurred to me. We've jumped from the Joes to the Cobras, and we've actually talked about Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes. We'll come back to him. Yeah, but yeah, we've got Byung Hun Lee as Storm Shadow. Yeah, and he's great. He's really good. Um, I'm not sure of his. Uh, background, but I would not be surprised to find he's a uh, from the Hong Kong film of like you learn the martial arts and work your way because he is he's great. He's got real intense eyes. He's 
he looks great in the costume. They they do full comic costume for him and it works yep. perfectly. Oh, he and, looks fantastic. You know, he's, He's really talented. He is obviously physically very fit, but he's you know he's doing all the moves, or at least it appears that way. He's they knock it out of the park with him. Like oh, I know, I have nothing, no no negative to say about him at all. No, he's I'm the same. Like whether it's this movie, the sequel, you know, we probably shouldn't say too much about the sequels. We'll get to that at, at some some stage. I mean, Snake Eyes. It's also referred to as Snake Eyes GI Joe Origins. That's yeah. that's going to be coming out, which essentially is a reboot, not a continuation of this. Yeah. Maybe we'll do retaliation. I mean, maybe. I'm not quite sure how much we have to say about it, but maybe we could put it out as almost like a bonus episode. Yeah. But yes, in this movie, in that movie, he is fantastic. And whenever you've got Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes together, both actors... And clearly do the stunts and visually you get some good fight choreography with them. I did read that Lee was unfamiliar with G.I. Joe because the franchise is unknown in South Korea. Yeah, which makes sense. I'm sure they have their own uh things that appeal to like that age demographic. Yeah. So it yeah, wasn't it, too, yeah. it wasn't too familiar. Um but director Summers said it was unnecessary to research it, just coming fresh. And that probably helped with his performance because, you know, I mentioned that, you know, whether it's dialogue or performances, like not a lot of the actors are getting much to work with. I mean, I'd say Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes are the highlight. At times, almost in a different film to everybody else, like their chemistry together. And even it's flashbacks to their younger selves. Like there's there's a good story there, and and it's a lot more interesting than everything else that's going on. But I think for the first time, we should say Ray Park is Snake Eyes in this movie. Yeah, Darth Maul himself. <laughs> One of the best things about this movie, and we're just talking about him potentially as the last actor that we're going to talk about. Yeah, um, and you know that he'd he'd also been towed by this point from the X Men movies, but. Everyone is, you know, for his life, he's always does. He could do the greatest thing ever in the ter- in terms of like a movie performance, and he'll still be known as Darth Maul. He <laughs> will. But where my mind goes, and you've just put that line into my head there, when he's he's going up against Storm in that first X Men movie, this was a line written by Joss Whedon. Storm goes, "Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning?" The same thing as everything else. Awful. Yeah. Terrible. It line. is. Terrible it line. Is. But I associate that even though it was a victim of that action sequence and that line, Ray Park, that's where my mind goes. And you put your back, Darth Maul, of course. Yeah. Uh, the last two Joes uh, to talk about, you have Heavy Duty, played by Adewali Akinoya Agbaha. It's a hard one. It is. Um, he plays heavy duty. Um, he's kind of second commander of the Joes. Like you, like before Duke starts, it's pretty much well, he was, General Hawk, and yeah. he takes on the field stuff. Is heavy duty. He, he was the field commander, so he was yeah. like after Hawk, he was next in charge until yeah. Duke, and he was the one that didn't want Duke and Ripcord on the team. He didn't believe they were Joes or yeah. Joe material. Um, 
and because of that, he kind of falls, his character falls in this weird thing of handing out expositionary dialogue um, and just fading into background because, you know, Duke and Ripcord are supposed to be taking all of the lead and Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Like, he, he's not allowed to do anything. And he's not the intelligence officer. So he has, in some ways, even less to do than General Hawk, unfortunately, uh, with all the actual exposition stuff coming from Breaker, played by Saeed Tagmawi um, from Wonder Woman. Uh, he's the information guy, tech guy, who's on the missions and that sort of stuff, kind of the vantage point. And like, yeah. he, he, he gives all of these specs on like all the other members of the Joes when those guys join. He's got a lot yeah. of, he's got all of the exposition theory so dialogue like, hand out. He's, he's like reading the, the back of the toy. He's reading the packaging. <laughs> yeah. You know, the strengths, and, the weaknesses. Yeah. Which is a shame because he's a talented actor. I mean, no, he really see. is. Yeah. And, and he, he looks just the gets, same in this does. movie that he does in Wonder Woman. <laughs> As an age today, <laughs> he's like in, in phenomenal shape. But yeah, he's just so underutilized. I mean, yeah. I mean he's doing, as I said, He's handing the audience all the information they need to make sense of this, which unfortunately doesn't leave a lot more for character development other than, and he's French mm-hmm. and he knows tech. Like, all you need to know. Yeah. All yeah. you need to know. And, and that's the thing that they're told after what happens in Paris that everyone has to go back to their country of origin and can never return to France. And he's like, um, what? <laughs> this is my home. Uh, I'm French. <laughs> but everyone's what like, no, or is it yo, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go home, everybody. He's like, uh, excuse me. I am yeah. home. I need to leave now. Yeah. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> Let's just go back to heavy duty a moment. So yeah. Cop was offered the role of heavy duty's cousin, Roadblock. Now, Roadblock is the character that Dwayne Johnson plays in Retaliation. Yep. They decided not to go with that character, but instead go with Heavy Duty, who is Roadblock's cousin. So there you go. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that's mentioned in either film, but Heavy Duty and Roadblock, I mean, these names are amazing, are actually cousins. Yeah. yeah. And it's a shame as well, because I'm, I'm familiar with Adewale from a lot of things. I'm pretty sure he was in Oz um, and uh and other TV shows and films, and he's always a really good performer. But unfortunately, he's—I think he's like Mister Supporting Actor, Mister Supporting yeah, Character. He's not, and he, he's not doing too much. And my my mind goes to Suicide Squad, where he's Killer Croc, and he's having, yeah, he's doing just as much there, I think, as he's doing here. Yeah, yeah. It's like guys, you've gotten this talented actor who's got good range, and he's a physical guy. Don't just make him the quiet muscle. Like he, he can do more. Just he can do a lot more. If you watch Oz, he does a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of film. <laughs> no, no. You know, when I was doing research for this, I came across something that I didn't actually know, which I thought was interesting. It's, it's to do with one of the characters' costumes. The marking on Snake Eye's right shoulder came from the eight uh, trigrams, the top marking is water, the lower marking is fire. Together, the I Ching, the symbol means completion. So there you go. You got a complete warrior. And he's wearing ah. his arm. He wants everybody to know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I guess that's I one way of communicating it because he can't talk. So he's just yeah. he's got the he's got the symbol instead. 
Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, and this, you know, this falls into that like it's an action movie. It's an act. It's a grab your popcorn, turn off your brain, watch this movie, have some fun. Don't think too hard on the science. It's it yes, is what it is. Definitely. On that though, how many explosions do you think are in this movie? As a rough estimate, I say there's at least thirty. There are over 250 explosions in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) 112 cars were crashed during filming. This beat the previous world record of 104 cars, and that was during the making of Blues Brothers 2000 back in 98. The figure of 12 does not include cars that were blown up. Wow. Expensive movie. Blowing this up, that up, blowing a lot of... Things up. Um, yeah. The music, which again, without going back and rewatching the animated series, you've got to think that there's going to be some motifs that are taken from the animated series that are featured in this. The composer, Alan Silvestri, one oh, of wow. the best. Whether yeah. we're talking Back to the Future in 85, The Avengers in 2012, pretty much every Robert Zemeckis film. Like this yeah. is a guy whose career has spanned decades, and he composed this G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> yeah, weird. Um, I can't say I noticed the movie's music, good or bad, uh, so I can't really comment on what I thought of the, uh, the quality of the, the soundtrack. What I did notice, though, was that CGI has not aged well. Yes, yeah. It's an unfortunate thing. I mean, it is 2009. Uh, it wasn't exactly a small budget film, but uh, doing so much digitally, especially like when Eccleston gets the full Destro mask at the end, it's CGI the whole time. I'm like, you should have just done the transformation scene, well, CGI, and, and then get put an actual, and then actually put on makeup because it looks awful. It looks awful. A lot of the reflections on this look awful. In fact, one of the things my notes was when they land in the pit, the Joes step off their 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 plane, which is completely chrome on the outside, like a like a stainless steel reflective thing, and it looks like they're stepping out of an elevated uh, green screen set onto another set because the blending is it's reflective surfaces are the one of the hardest things to do that on. And in 2009, they were never going to achieve that. And I noticed that quite a bit. I'm like, not just Destro's face and the CGI for some of the vehicles and that, but the physics of the whole Paris sequence, the way the they moved in those suits, the way Scarlet especially moved on that motorcycle. My brain was having fits of like, that's not how <laughs> momentum and speed works. Yeah. This is ridiculous. The suits but especially, yeah. really. Yeah, nice. I mean, yeah, they don't have any momentum or weight to them. Uh, and it is distracting. I don't, I, I remember at the time it not bothering me, but this, I think this is the third time I watched it. I think I watched it a couple, like uh, like five years ago and I've watched it again for this. And every time when it gets to that, that point, my brain just starts screaming at me like, who did this? <laughs> Who's responsible? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a shame. It's, this was notorious for this, for the mid to late two thousand movies, mm-hmm. where they'd shoot their their plate, which was on 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 set or on 
location. And then they says, oh yeah, the, and the computer guys take care of the rest. Yeah. But they've got to match the speed of their characters and their actors with the speed of the shot. And if the shot's panning at a certain rate, they've got to make the, the characters move at the same rate. And it's hard to do momentum. It's one of the big problems with the Michael Bay Transformers movies is they've got oh, a shot yes. plate. And they don't. They do things like step next to a car, and the car doesn't move, and things like that in nature because there's no no move of momentum from those. And it's like, as I said, this is just this is an unfortunate trend for this era of action yeah. movie. It's not until it recently just... where they're like, they understand you need to get the practical stuff on set, and then touch it up. Like mm. they're really, really good at these days. I mean, speaking of like CGI replacement and that kind of stuff. Army of the Dead had to replace an entire actor who was yeah, uh, a new actor was yeah, Tig Notaro comes in to replace Crestalia. And they match the movement of the camera as she walks and talks the actors on who are, are not there. She's just looking at a guy in a green like jumpsuit. And then after that, they match the lighting, the mm-hmm. camera blur or focus from how far away she's supposed to be. And that took a lot of work because it takes time to make scenes like this work. And unfortunately, in the 2000s, they're like, oh, the computers will take care of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say before, I was just thinking of Transformers. Like when you were talking about the effects and everything, is, you know, both being Hasbro. Like Transformers 1, that was, was that around 07 or when that came out? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there were supposed to be other things like they, uh, they start off with transformers. Cause that was the bit obvious no brainer, like, like open goal that worked out, exceeded their expectation. And they came in with GI Joe, which was the next big toy brand. Um, and then there was supposed to be others, which some we're waiting on, like some we've missed, like a uh, battleship. One of those. Ooh, that was a bad one. And, uh, Taylor Kitsch, Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was, uh, there was another one around the same era, which I'm spacing on the name now, but mm. yeah, there were a couple of these. Uh, yeah. So G.I. Joe comes off better than most, but you know, there is a, an uneven tone in terms of, like you said, some of the things that like they're taking super seriously and some of the actors like uh, are, doing the correct thing and leaning further into the, the, the inherent ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing both, it has the same thing that we, we talked about with Lone Ranger. You have to stitch these two together and you can't. One's yeah, too but you far. Know, admittedly, one Lone Ranger is a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we yeah. get to our rating, I mentioned already G.I. Joe Retaliation. We don't need to get... In fact, you know what? We'll we'll leave that completely because there's a good chance ahead of the Snake Eyes reboot, we'll do a full review of that one. Although I think it might be a little shorter than this one because we've talked about the toy line and everything already. So the new movie is a reboot. We've got Henry Golding starring as the character Snake Eyes replacing Ray Park. And that movie... I was surprised to find this is the new Snake Eyes movie. It's from the director of Red and R.I.P.D. Two oh, movies wow. that we've reviewed already. And it is director Robert Schwentkel. Yep. Thereabouts. Yep. I apologize. I apologize, Robert. But he is coming back. Or not coming back. He's going to be joining the 
G.I. Joe series. Uh, but we both really enjoyed that movie, Red. Not so much R.O.P.D. So I'm curious to see Snake Eyes, which again is a full reboot, so not continuation of this or retaliation. So Jay, if you're going to rate the rise of Cobra out of five. Yeah. Um, I'm unfortunately going to come in at about a two. It's not God awful. It's not that bad. But unfortunately, it's not above the level where I can make a full recommend because it, it makes up that, that almost cardinal sin of not bad enough where you can rip it to pieces and get really passionate about how bad it is, but also not good enough to have, like, you have to go see it if only for this thing and this thing. It's right in that middle bland area. So for that reason, I'm giving it a two out of five. I'm also coming in at two out of five. I could not recommend this film. I mean, if you used to have the toys, you enjoyed the animated series, and you're curious, check it out. But this is very, very disjointed. Yeah, two, two out of five. I've got to be honest, like when I first watched it a month ago, which was the well, the second time I'd ever seen it. And then watched it again last night. I did enjoy it more last night, but I guess I was in a, I was more in the mindset of knowing what to expect, and I could just go with it more. But yeah, very disjointed. Some of the visuals still work, most don't. And yeah, two out of five. It's it is what it is. I mean, I'm going to go and watch Snake Eyes. I'm going to continue my GI Joe journey. Well, this movie, yeah, too. I think that yep. is that is fair. Well, that's it for our episode all about G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>